How's your your Tuesday going? Taco Tuesday? I didn't have tacos. I had pasta. Sorry to disappoint. Well, that's taco adjacent. Is it? Yeah, they're both sandwiches. It's opposed to soups. Right, on the, the what, soup, sandwich, salad spectrum, everything is either a soup, a salad, or a sandwich. Ooh, noodles actually might be, or pasta, I guess, might be closer to a salad. Saw a video on this. Really taking it apart. Really raised some important issues. Some of the greatest moral issues of our time. Right. So, you know, like a sandwich is ingredients on top of or surrounded by bread. So that means that if you order soup in a bread bowl from Panera, that's a sandwich. Ooh. You know, it's a really harrowing set of requirements. Even though it's, is it not also a soup? It's just a sandwich? It's a sandwich. Sandwich, I, I, I think it overrides because you got the bread on the outside. Okay, but pasta is bread. Well, okay, so so say you've got like lettuce, tomato, and some chicken. Outside of the bread, that's a salad. But you put that between two slices of bread, that's no longer a salad. That's just a sandwich. You put your soup inside of some bread, you got yourself a sandwich, baby. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to episode 205 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest... Mm, I gotta check to see if you put a joke in there. Nope, you didn't. The <laughs> spikiest podcast... You have to keep that now. ...in all of Central North Carolina... <laughs> We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hi, Chris. I wasn't looking at it, so I I felt like I'd miss it if you know you'd you'd put something there. Well, see, I always try to think of a joke, mm-hmm. but I don't like forcing it. Sure. So oftentimes I just leave it alone. Right. Because like, what are, we have the jump startiest. But I don't like right, that. That doesn't so. work at all. It's completely wrong cadence, and there's no 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 sonic relationship to what we already have there so i i agree so you want to just jump into the jump start part of the show i this was gonna be a you know one of our classic split historic slash modern podcasts where you want to talk about modern but i want to talk about historic so we do them both and brainstorm just got banned so there's a lot to speculate about but you know, now it just doesn't matter. Like, there's no reason to talk about historic post brainstorm when it's going to be historic post jumpstart historic horizons. I don't even know when this comes out. Which honestly. is uh, yeah, I don't know when it comes out either. Uh, oh, it comes out August twelfth. Okay, so yeah, so not not going to bother playing any historic until this comes out. Also, what is that name? Jumpstart colon historic horizons. It's just like they put a bunch of set names in a hat and then pulled them out at random. Well, it's it's code language that like you can't get except by reference to their other things, which are like also kind of weirdly self-referent. So like it's it's historic horizons, just like modern horizons was for modern. But the distribution model is a jumpstart distribution model. So it's jumpstart colon historic horizons comma electric boogaloo 
No, no, that's that's Jumpstart colon Historic Horizons two colon <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Yes, this is the second iteration of Jumpstart. It is online only. There are online only cards that do things that you can kind of only do in a digital version of the game. The distribution model is like the same as the original Jumpstart, so you can't buy packs of it. You have to like play the Jumpstart event for one pack at a time, and it's extremely expensive. And it doesn't like build your wildcard meter to do. Ooh, wait, there's more actually about the the Jumpstart events. So for the old Jumpstart events, you know, you clicked on a thing, you got your pack, mm-hmm. and it was all pretty much the same all the time. Uh, maybe you get like a different rare. This time they're changing the distribution of the packs themselves so that you're not quite sure exactly what you're guaranteed to get at each mm-hmm. one. Like they all have different percentages of a range of cards you can get because there's just so many, so many cards in the set. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's there's, hu- quote, hundreds of cards from Modern Horizons and Modern Horizons 2 and 31 digital only cards. So a ton of new cards being injected into the arena economy in what is, I think, just absolutely the most predatory distribution model that they've come up with. Uh, Jumpstart 1 was pretty awful, but fortunately you didn't need that many cards from it. But, you know, this set, if the some of the Modern Horizon cards that they've set are going to be in it are any indication, like, this is going to redefine Historic. Yeah, I, I really didn't like the first time Historic was online, because I wanted to... Like, at that point, I still cared about Historic, so I wanted to have cards from it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was unwilling to pay the money for, like, a bunch of Jumpstart events. And and even that, like, the amount that you have to outlay for Jumpstart events in order to get cards is, like, less efficient than just crafting them all with wild cards, which is a really inefficient way to get ent- entire collections. Like, wild cards kind of sort of work if you are using it to fill in holes after you've been playing limited, but that's just not really an option here. Getting a mythic wildcard costs $10 on arena. So like it's extremely expensive to acquire a jumpstart to collection for playing historic with like, you have to buy packs of other sets in order to get the jumpstart cards. Like it's really stupid. It's incredibly awful. Do I don't remember the rewards from the last jumpstart. What did it give you? I don't think it like really gave you anything. You like could keep playing your deck over and over again. If you got one win, then you got like a little, like once you got one win, you got a little bit back, but it wasn't like, it was just really expensive. It was like a ton of gems to buy a jumpstart pack one at a time. And like the small reward kind of guilted you into playing with it. It's awful. I hope they rework the... I know they won't, but I hope nope. they do, just so they, like give a little bit of wild cards or something. No chance of it. I know, but... Or I let know. us buy packs the same way that we do with sets. Like, it's so weird that you can't. Yeah, you'd think they'd... It, whatever. Moving on. Yeah. Anyways, just gonna inject a ton of cards into Historic. A lot of Modern Horizons stuff, apparently. Including some some real bangers that have upset Modern in recent weeks to an extraordinary extent and i can't imagine are not going to do the same to historic uh but i guess like the headline 
part. I, I don't even know which is a bigger deal. The fact that Dragon's Rage Channeler is going to be in Historic or the fact that they're making online-only cards that can only really function in a digital environment. But maybe we start with the online-only card discussion first. Well, maybe let's not, because I feel like that there's a lot more to that than the Dragon's Rage Channeler side sure. of it. Well, yeah. So, I mean, they haven't announced like a ton of stuff. There's some like cards that are clearly going to be good, like Dragon's, Dragon's Rage Channeler. Unholy Heat, I actually think, is like a really messed up addition to the format that's like legitimately a huge mistake. This is just the best removal spell in Modern, especially with Dragon's Rage Channel in the format. I don't think it's going to be tough to turn on Delirium and make this the best. Like, it, one mana to kill anything is too efficient in Historic, and it's like borderline too efficient in Modern where everything costs one mana anyways. So I, I'm not like a big fan of that. I am kind of a big fan of hard evidence, although that may also be too good because <laughs> Indomitable Creativity is already like pretty decent in that format. And and but I I wanted hard evidence on Arena anyway, so I, I don't mind that. Uh, Bloodbraid Marauder might be playable. Thali's Lieutenant is probably more important than most of these cards, and also like Hanware Militia Captain if it's a more you know, you can't build truly disruptive humans, but I guess you do have meddling mage Thalia and Thalia's lieutenant, so that's a good start. Yeah. Also, Esper Sentinel, which is not like a huge pickup for anyone, but I like that they really want to push Temperate Steel because <laughs> Temperate Steel cards are in every single anthology. <laughs> One day. I mean, they just need to put Mox Opal in and then we'll be good. It could be in the set, who yeah. knows? Or like a digital only mox where you like roll a d20. It does. It produces random amounts of mana. Yeah. <laughs> a nice jack in the mox where you just like, boy, if I don't hit one, I'm gonna win. Oh man. You hit one and you like discard your hand, <laughs> sacrifice the mox, <laughs> go to timeout. It's a whole deal. All right, I'll save my like response to that for the uh, digital sure. only thing uh, where the main benefit of being digital only apparently is just to inject a lot of weird random result cards into the format, but whatever. I am fine with generally adding Modern Horizons 2 cards into the format. Like, they're really cool, and I mean, they are going to overshadow a lot of stuff, but they are cards that I like I like playing with and would like to play with on Arena, and at some point we got to get more Magic cards onto Arena, so... Yeah, like, for instance, Urza Saga. That card's really, really strong in Modern. But, like, what are you getting in Historic? You know? Yeah. Still get Colossus Hammer. Can you equip it? Is Pure Swallowed on the cloud? Uh, I, it might be. This is my favorite game. What's in Historic? It is not. Okay, so we're still safe from the, the Bonk Hammer Menace. There's got to be some, like, but, awkward... Some slightly more awkward free equips, right? So, some Like, some planeswalkers that do it there's like a four mana creature that does it so like it wouldn't be undoable i don't think but like the point with urza saga right, trying to make right, is right. you can there's a lot of room to print extremely powerful cards into historic from modern horizons 2 and have them have a completely different impact oh for sure uh, there's a lot of cards that are way more powerful in more powerful formats like mox opal in standard was like yeah we used it but it, it was nothing like it was in modern that standard format was also egregiously powerful. Sure, so. but even given like how artifact heavy the set was, like you don't have 
Mishra's Bobble and Arkham's Astrolabe and stuff to make it like very, very easy to make mana with your Mox Opal on turn one all the time. Yeah, that that's true. Oh man, I'm just thinking about that stand format. It had like ten cards that are banned in modern it's, today. It's true. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, generally I'm okay with adding these cards in. Like I will be excited to play with them. I hate the distribution model. I think it's really predatory and like requires you to spend a ton of money to just to try things out, which is not fun. It sucks. And it also, you know, adding cards into historic like this. Every time they do it, like, you know, Historic is kind of a mess as far as what is legal and also as far as trying to serve as a backstop for, oh, my cards aren't playable in Standard anymore. I might as well not even own them because they're not useful at all. Like, that, they're not going to be good in Historic. The, the format is just too powerful. So if that is the purpose of the format, which it was the purpose of the format, now it is very clearly no longer the purpose of the format we no longer have anything that is providing our rotated out cards with any, like just let us dust our cards. Like, good Lord. Yeah, I agree. Like when you, when your cards rotate out of stand at this point, you, you should be able to get rid of them. Yeah. That's what I do in paper every year or did. You right. Know? <laughs> like I, what do, what do I do with these planeswalkers and stuff that just are never going to be good enough for, for historic? They're, not they're just in my collection i can't do i can't trade them away i can't do anything with them just let me turn them into a quarter of another mythic or whatever like a card like Vraska's contempt which is in its time incredibly necessary for a wide variety of standard mm -hmm. decks never still play anywhere else of course ever. i just don't want to have that card after it's gonna rotate yeah <laughs> and there is no solution of like another format where you can use them because that the format's gonna get more powerful than most of these cards relatively quickly so not allowing us to dispose of our cards in some way a way that has been solved by every other card game in basically the same way every other digital card game like come on it's, it's ridiculous and i know why they're doing it but it sucks <sighs> but okay can we talk about the online only cards yes we can talk about the online only cards uh 31 online-only cards. We've had a bunch of them spoiled. Three main mechanics uh, that only really work on a client. Seek just grabs a random card from your deck that fulfills their criteria. So, for example, there is... Oh, here's Faceless Agent. Three mana for a 2-1 Changeling. When it enters the battlefield, seek a creature card of the most prevalent creature type in your library. It just pulls one out of your deck and pulls, puts it into your hand and at random. And I don't think it even shuffles your library. So if you like put cards on top, they're still on top. Perpetually is an adjective that can get stuck into whatever. And it just means that it changes that card for the rest of the game, regardless of zone changes or anything like that. And conjuring just kind of creates cards out of thin air. So I, I don't... There's Tome of the Infinite, which is a legendary artifact that has blue tap. Conjure a random card from Tome of the Infinite spellbook into your hand. It perpetually gains. You may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast this spell. I don't really care about these cards either way. I don't hate them. I don't really get excited for them, certainly. So let's... There's a couple different, like, topics about these cards. I, I want to tackle the... 
historic online now is fundamentally different than the paper game or even like you can just never play historic and paper right. now that's just not right. gonna happen I, I like that like one of the one of my complaints about historic and pioneer to some extent was that since historic has been so pushed and so prevalent on arena and you can play it all the time uh people were kind of asking for historic to just be a format in paper mm-hmm and just to get rid of it, Pioneer altogether. Because it's clear that Watsi didn't want to support Pioneer on Arena because they delayed Pioneer Masters and then just stopped development mm-hmm. of it. So that's that's clear they didn't want to go forward with that. Uh, and now that's no longer... Well, the option of making Historic V in-between format from Standard and Modern... It's just not the case anymore in paper. Yeah. It has to be Pioneer pretty much because Historic now has these digital only games, mm-hmm. cards, even if they're not like fantastic or great. We, we haven't seen them all either. Uh, it, the, the format is just like fundamentally different now than whatever you can play in paper. Right. And yeah, so I don't like I don't mind it. Like Arena had Historic had already diverged from anything you could play in paper anyways. Like we were probably never going to see historic tournaments in paper generally. It just didn't seem like a thing that was going to happen. So I don't think this like fundamentally makes a huge difference there in like potential for historic play. I I do think that like, and maybe this is just the old like grumpy grognard part of me, but there is some weirdness to cards in the digital client that like, change the rules of the game of magic the gathering and how stuff works you know like the way that i understand magic like a big thing is anytime something goes to a zone it becomes a new object and forgets everything that ever happened to it and that's just like how magic cards work and it is very strange to me that this isn't how some magic cards work now but like most magic cards almost all magic cards still work that way but sometimes they don't And I don't know, like, yeah, it has to have the word perpetually on it to not do that. But it is just a very strange, just like, here's this fundamental rule of the game. This is how magic works and a thing that you explain to new players as you're teaching them the game all the time. Uh, But I mean, there's lots of cards that break the rules of the game. So eh, whatever. Yeah, I think this is just a new way to break the rules of the game. That just happens to be something you can't replicate in Mm -hmm. paper rather than like a a fundamental shift in how magic works yeah. <laughs> because like moving on to talk to the about the mechanics themselves i think they're all just great like fantastic uh perpetually itself is a little dangerous i've played eternal card game uh, by direwolf studios and it has a very similar type of deal where if cards lose stats or gain stats like a creature mm-hmm. if you give a creature plus one plus yeah, one it stays that way it stays that way in the graveyard the library and whatever it's, it's just that big forever so that, that changes the dynamic of the game that way but the whole game is built around it so it right. works and and that's that's the thing for me here is like it's kind of similarly to the way that like magic wasn't built around having a companion so having a companion really like broke the entire game like magic isn't built around these perpetual changes but they all seem like really inoffensive so far so yeah the best one is like davriel's withering i think which is a black mana instant that's minus one minus two perpetually right. and, and honestly like that that's the thing that kind of bugs me about it 
is that like you look at most a lot of these online only execution cards and you're like oh like why we're breaking the rules of the game for this for like basically bad dead weight whoa whoa you you tag a grave crawler with this davriel's withering that thing's gone it's like a coffin purge and a dead weight uh-huh except for you can still trigger your revenge rise. i mean i guess you t- you tag like, an arclight phoenix with it and it's but it like you could exile an arclight phoenix. like there's like ways to do this and to do a lot of these things like pretty analogously within the rules and it seems like a little bit of a waste of like brain space to be like, ooh, we're warping the game, but, you know, kind of doing things you could do anyways. So the the other two mechanics, like the Seek and Conjure, I think those are both fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, seek itself is really just a simple location of kind of the Abundant Harvest effect, where you pick something you want, or you build your deck a certain way to, to match conditions instead of flipping the top cards of your library until you find one like you do in paper, you just mm-hmm. get it. So that makes sense. It's whatever. Right. Seek is just very. But again, that's literally just something you could do in paper. It just takes a little. You just have to cascade to the thing. Like, are we getting that much out of this execution of it? It's different. Like Faceless Agent, you can't do in paper because it requires you to like constantly tabulate the most popular creature type in your deck. But this is a three mana two one. it's not like, about like what the card is or how playable it is. But it's it, like what but it kind of paper. is, right? Because these aren't getting put into a limited format. They're getting put into the jumpstart format that people are going to play for two weeks and then it's gone. Like, and then they're just going to kind of not exist on Arena, right? Like, when are you ever going to cast the, like the bad ones of these cards? And if they're all kind of bad, then they just kind of don't exist. And then what was the point? Yeah, but the thing about Seek is that if it's kind of good, or just works like I think it should, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's not going to change the game at all, pretty much. It's just going to function, and you won't even call attention right, to it. Right, But But the cost is that these cards exist online and do not exist in paper, not that they like cannot exist in paper. I don't think that's a cost. I think that's like a feature of Arena that they're trying to do. Like, they're trying to make it more of a card game, like a a digital mm-hmm. card game and this is their attempt at doing that while still pretending to be a port of magic for like standard as much as that works yeah but then also trying to entice people with hey we're also a digital card game look at all these only digital cards we can do yeah i mean there's and i think that approach i don't i don't think was is going to handle it very well yes, to be exactly frank. <laughs> <laughs> because you have to balance like a, they have not had a great track record in the past couple of years of printing standard cards. Mm-hmm. So my confidence level in them going forward for these, like, I assume they want some of them to be pushed so historic's like a little fun and flavorful for people they're trying to hook. But it'll be really embarrassing if they have to pay any of these cards. Sorry, suspend. <laughs> yeah, you're not getting your wild cards back for these ones. Which is funny because you definitely spent wild cards to get them. Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. There, there's just like part of me that just doesn't get the point of Scion of Shiv. Two red, red, three, three flying, two and a red. It perpetually gets plus one, plus zero. Oh. Like, you'll cast it once in one jumpstart game and then you'll forget about its existence forever and ever. 
that is a good point because I think a lot of the strong digital card games are ones that don't place an emphasis on limited mm-hmm. at all. Like uh, Legends of Runeterra, I've played a lot. I played a lot of card games online, and they they have way and smaller libraries than Magic does. Yeah, yeah, and Hearthstone too. They print like they both technically have limited game modes, but they're not the focus of the game at right. all. They're mostly constructed games. So when they produce new sets, they're heavily skewed towards only having cards that have reasons to exist in mm-hmm. the game. Whereas with uh, games like Magic, you have a ton of kind of what you would call filler cards in those other games, which exist to pad out limited games. Uh, and that that's fine. It works in Magic, especially with like some of the better limited formats. Those games are really good and yeah. engaging. But with historic Jumpstart Horizons... I'm going to get the name wrong every time. <laughs> Just put it in a different order. Random order. It it, Horizon, fits, it suits it to give it a random order every time. Yeah, but with with Horizon Master Jumpstarts, <laughs> you... The, the, do we know how long the event's supposed to run? I can't imagine it runs longer than a month, which is two months fewer than every other I mean, limited it, format runs on right. the client. And either way you'll get tired of it after two days. Like, it's not... Jumpstart isn't fun. Like, on Arena, it's not fun. In person, I, I think Jumpstart would be really fun. On Arena, it's just, like, taxing mentally. It's just, like, you get a, you get random cards, your opponent has random cards, and then you just bash them against each other. Maybe other people find it more fun than I do, but... I, I want to talk more about mechanics. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's... I haven't talked about Conjure, mm-hmm. which is the like discover mechanic from Hearthstone. It just adds, it just generates cards and adds them to your hand or the board or whatever, whatever the card ends up doing. That's what Conjure does. So like there's the Wingstead Trainer, which is a four mana two three, that whenever it ETPs or attacks, you conjure a Stormfront Pegasus and add mm-hmm. it to your hand. I love discover and conjure. I, I love those types of mechanics because i think they're one of the best parts of digital card mm-hmm. games and why i really really like garth one eye from modern horizons 2 because it does a similar thing like one of the ways a bunch of card games online are balanced among factions colors regions like whatever the classes whatever their s- split is to give you some identity they all have different ways of doing the same mechanics and card advantage is a inherent mechanic to these games and one of the things i really like about like legends of runeterra like some some regions get just pure filtered card draw some get tutors and others have a ton of just random card generation or not random card generation but card generation mm-hmm. where the end of the goal the goal of these things is to have it so that you don't run out of things to do in a game that's part of the reason why card advantage is good and feels mm-hmm. good. But they all feel really unique and different. Mm-hmm. And that's something I really, really, really wish we could do for the color white sure. in Magic. Because it, at this point, it just doesn't feel natural to print a white divination, for instance. But if something like Wingsted Trainer could exist in mm-hmm. paper, I love that. Everything about it. Yeah, I, I do agree. The one thing that I don't love is cards that don't have all of their rules text in the rules text of the card. Like, that generally has bothered me about 
other card games where you can't really know what a card does until you've cast it a bunch of times. Like, that's obnoxious. But at least with, you know, something that's putting, like, the same creature card into your hand or something, like, that's pretty easy. This uh, Davriel card, where it's just... Yeah, that that's that's way different than Godric, because I wanted to talk yeah. about that. So, Davriel is the most offensive card. I'm sorry for cutting you <laughs> off, but I feel strongly about this. Like, Davriel and Urza Headmaster for Unstable are the worst. They're the worst ways you can do, like, right. this digital-only kind of deal. Because what Davriel is... <laughs> I'll read his minus two ability because that's what we're talking about. He's a, a new planeswalker. I'm not going to read the rest of the text. Uh, but his minus two is accept one of Davriel's offers, then accept one of his conditions. <laughs> that's that's the text of the card. It says nothing what about that. What on earth does this card do? Like, you have no clue. And, and you'd have no clue when you're activating it either what it's going to do. <laughs> and I saw a tweet that April made that listed all the conditions and all of the offers. And there's like, you know, upsides and downsides to each. And I do not know the interface for this card or how it operates, uh, which is a huge kind of, not whatever the opposite of a selling point is, <laughs> a buying point. It's a downside. Yeah, it's a huge downside. Because if you read this card, it, it doesn't make any sense. When I view a card, well, Hearthstone's a bad example, because they're really bad. Right, that's one of my least you. favorite things about Hearthstone, when it's just like, you know discover a treasure or whatever and then it, like the treasures are all like cards that don't exist anywhere else in the game of hearthstone it's like okay i guess i'll play this card five times and hopefully then i'll know what my range is on it Terra is way better about this because mm -hmm. when you click on a card you just scroll through it and it tells you every yes. single thing the card generates or produces or everything those cards then generate or produce as well uh, and honestly, I do not have the confidence that Magic Arena can or will do anything right. like that. Which means that cards like this, where they are really obscured in their rules text and what they do, are just not going to be that fun game experiences. Yeah, I think it's it's mostly just a frustrating, just a source of frustration more than anything else. And, and also add it to the fact that like you have a four mana Planeswalker that you have a minus two that like i don't even know how how this works do you get to choose all of his between all of his possible offers and conditions or does it show like some of them so in my mind just due to limited screen space what i imagined was that you like three phantom cards or whatever pop up on the screen that are the randomly generated offers right. for this instance and you pick one of them then it does the same thing with three randomly created conditions but the point is the card just doesn't yeah. say and it has to be random because otherwise you would always pick the best offer and the best condition of the like 20. Right. It would it would have like, you know, it would be a, just a giant rankle. Like you you have your choice every time. And and which which is actually a horribly designed card in itself because you'd never want to give your player that many right. options. But I love rankle. Like, come on. Well, rankle's three options. Right. Dabble Dabble is like a billion. Fifty. Yeah. Yeah, you got to limit it. So, and that's one of the beauties of the text box is like it constrains you and it's like you only have so many words to tell the story of this card. And then some of these designs, it's like, nah, man, just do do whatever. Like, how are they going to describe the spell book off of the conjuring spell book thing? Like, they're all one mana cards. They range from like giant growth, dark ritual, swords, swords yeah. to plowshares. <laughs> it's just, just a wide range of cards. 
and I I'm curious how they'll tell you like what your range is or if you just have to decide whether you're comfortable getting fog or like dark ritual. <laughs> yeah. I I do appreciate that it does open up some design space and some tutoring and some card advantage options. And so like I'm not like upset about this particularly. I think that like there is a cost to doing it. To having cards that somebody can get on arena and then can go to their LGS and not be able to buy. Like, oh man, I'd like to get into paper magic. I want to build my arena deck. Well, you can't build your arena deck. Like, there, there's some level of cost there. I don't know how much it is, but the, the fact that arena is no longer, and, and it, in several ways it already kind of wasn't, but it is no longer they should the also same just, game. They should also just rebrand the format away from historic. That is oh, it's the least historic, historic of anymore. all of magic's formats. It is a. It needs to be something that says arena yeah. only or whatever, just the arena format. And honestly, it would feel a little more comfortable to me if it were just like arena constructed, and then it, it yeah. like, you know, a, a lot of my just natural like, ugh, this is kind of gross things like go away when when you call it that. All right, I'm done about talking about the online only mechanics. Do you want to talk about like real historic or anything? I mean, there's, like, not really any point talking about it, right? We got to see all of Jumpstart before we can make any calls about it. I, I All of, excuse me, what? All of Jumpstart 2. Jumpstart 2. Arena Boogaloo. Historic Horizons. No. <laughs> I mean, Brainstorm got banned. It would be a thing worth talking about, certainly. Uh, it looks like the blue decks are still pretty fine. There was, like, a ton of Jeskai control in the last, you know, there was at least one historic tournament this weekend. Very difficult to find historic results still. It's one of my least favorite things about mm -hmm. Arena. Magic Online perfected, not perfected, because they've reduced it so many times, but distributed yeah. data at real frequent intervals. And Arena's just like, nah, we'll give you some deck lists from Ladder that are completely useless, but that's all you get. But, like... Looking at this top eight from like this Insight Esports 5K, like the top eight is still what? One, two, three, four, five, six blue decks. So, you know, probably a good ban if the blue decks are still like completely fine, including Is It Phoenix and Jeskai Control, which both leaned pretty hard on Brainstorm. Is It Phoenix just straight up like doesn't really have enough one mana cantrips anymore. It's not even just that Brainstorm was really good. Like, you would run, like, blue, draw a card if you could, probably, and you can't. Yeah, we're all about Warlords for right now, which is just red draw yeah, cards. which is kind of, it's, it's fine, but certainly a downgrade from Brainstorm. Also, it's a sorcery, like, you know, there's problems with it. There's Well, there's no card that's not going to be a downgrade from yeah, Brainstorm. It is troubling to me when I hear other people talking about the Brainstorm ban and talking about, like, number one, how obvious it was that from the very start that brainstorm was going to have to be banned and number two like how much it like reduces their faith in wizards of the coast like obviously brainstorm is fantastic i just don't think it was that obvious that brainstorm was going to be way too good in a fetchless format and i think it was an experiment that was worth trying and i had a lot of fun playing with it for a while outside of the context of legacy and that's worth something too see i think the second half of that statement is 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 the mm -hmm. point i think because if you recall i was really gung-ho about just letting all of the <laughs> sure. historic, the historic archives legal 
except for like channel or yeah. whatever and just like letting people play with the really cool cards that no one ever gets to play i with. do agree about that yeah and and yeah some will definitely get banned but you let people play with the cards knowing kind of like the pioneer yeah yeah the initial pioneer where they were just like we're gonna have a ban announcement every two weeks or whatever yeah yeah because we're, we're just letting you play with these cards we'll give you your wild cards back when they get banned but be aware we're only giving you wild cards for those cards so anything you craft is yeah. you know your risk yeah and i i definitely would have appreciated it if that was like it would have been nice to like yeah get owned by swords to plowshares until it gets banned a week into the format like all right fine whatever this this maybe isn't that fun for a little bit but whoever's casting it is probably enjoying themselves and now we just get up oh, brainstorms banned and you don't get your rare wild cards that you spent on brainstorm which is pretty messed up yeah oh well we'll get them like in a couple months maybe sometimes stuff just stays on the suspended list i i, I did the research <laughs> three months is the max so is far it? okay from uh from omnath and oko okay well then i guess we'll get them at some point maybe not by jumpstart to historic horizons right but definitely by innistrad crimson val is that the second one do we do wolves first or breaking dawn? First? whoa 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 you just slap me with I a dmc well claim <laughs> to uh dispute yeah. this is Breaking Dawn the one about werewolves or vampires? I don't... It's gotta be a werewolf thing. I guess they're both really into night time yeah. stuff. A fact that I learned about Twilight is that at some point, like, towards the very end of the, like, werewolf-vampire conflict, one of the, like, ancient vampires says to... I don't... I'm, I'm sure I'm messing this up, but I'm, I'm, I have the general gist of it. One of the, like ancient vampires says to edward like we're just gonna like not kill them but like they're werewolves and edward's like no nah, man you know these aren't like actual werewolves right like they can change whenever they want to they're not like the the full moon nighttime werewolves so like it's fine and so it's just like this huge plot point dropped in like basically a footnote at the end of the book it's like no they're not the kind of werewolves that we actually fight like we probably shouldn't have been fighting them this whole time which is amazing. And also introducing the concept of like two different strains of werewolves. Right, which just like apparently doesn't come up. Just the fact that you can just get away with this. At, you, you hit on some sort of nerve that made people love your thing and nothing else matters. Like you can just like do whatever you want and make millions of dollars. It's incredible. It gives me hope. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta find the niche. I gotta figure something out. <laughs> Are you going to start writing to teenage girls as well? That sounds pretty creepy, Lee. All right, that's fair. What were we talking about? Like wild cards? Yeah, who cares? Any more historic slash jumpstart ideas, I guess? Oh, I have lots of ideas for the online only <laughs> cards, but no, no uh, Watsy's not going to call me, so. Dude, I am going to play Dragon's Rage Channeler in historic until they ban it. That is my promise to each and every one of you. That card's really fun to it play. It is. It feels so good. Like, Luris is still legal, too, in yep. Historic. So, yeah. Also, Historic might be the format for the Dragon Rage Channeler Demi-Lich deck. They may be able to put that <laughs> together, because it doesn't really... It's not really the right thing in any other format, but perhaps in Historic. Especially if they print a spell that conjures another spell. 
that's really good for turning on the Timmy Lich. Yeah. It, even if, if it conjures like some really awful zero mana spell, then that would be, you know. Oh, that'd be perfect. Yeah. Like zero mana gain a life or whatever. Yeah, just whatever. But yeah, I'm, yeah. Done, I'm done with historic. Cool. Well, then we should complete our classic duo, move on to some modern. Covered the Mana Traders modern tournament this past weekend. That was a lot of fun. Modern remains cool. And people who are mad about Hammer Time should play Artifact Removal in their decks. Or Hammer Time. That deck's really fun. Have you tried it? Yeah, <laughs> it's sick. It's a great best deck. Like, it's... Honestly, I I do agree that it's the best deck. Not the best by a ton. There's so many good decks this format. Right. I, I mean, I, I'm, like, pointing this out in particular because, like, chat was getting pretty salty about Hammer Time as it won the tournament. But, like... Like, yes, it's got a lot of tools. It's It has the potential for a very fast kill. It is resilient to several of the ways that you interact with it and can grind harder than, you know, like an Infect-type deck can, can grind. But, you know, you can take it apart, man. You can play Ancient Grudge. You can play uh, Force of Vigor. It, it's not... I don't know. I don't see this deck as a long-term problem going forward. No, and, like, I don't know exactly the cards you want to play, because it really just depends on what you are playing. Like, mm-hmm. whatever fits your strategy better. Because right. a lot of the things that happen against Hammer Time are when you, like, just try to deal with all the early creatures, run out of cards, uh, fail to establish a clock, and then they either reassemble a combo or kill you with Construct Tokens. Because yeah. the third chapter of Saga can easily tutor a Shadow Spear, which makes the Construct Tokens, like, really threatening. Yes. So the you, fact that the third chapter just gets an artifact that pumps the constructs that you already made is, like, pretty goofy on that card. I, I love Urza Saga. I'm an Urza Saga apologist. I know. They they banned Moxopole, and this one gives me joy. Yes, but it is a strong indication that they can never, ever, you can never unban Moxopole in a format that includes Urza Saga. I mean, if a card like Urza Saga is strong, and it is, I think that's a healthier card to be in the format than, like, a fast mana card. Probably. Yeah, that's true. You know, we definitely saw Hammer Time lose some matches. Uh, Other decks in the tournament that were pretty heavily played and looked like, you know, totally competent decks. Uh, Is the Is It Murktide deck in second place and and looked very strong. The Rhinos deck, I'm actually not super into as far as like Cascade decks go. This is my least favorite one to be playing. It it is also my least favorite, but I some of that's got to be bias on my part mm-hmm. because I know a lot of people do play this in challenge and have results with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me, it feels like a consistent cascade deck rather than a very powerful one. Yeah. And I think that's what I don't like about it. Like I want, when I cast my violent outburst or chartless or whatever, I want to be so far ahead. They're going to have such a hard time coming back. And the Rhinos deck doesn't do that. Right, because you've made such huge deck building concessions to make it work. You're not playing Dragon's Rage Channeler or Unholy Heat in your deck. Like, you know, you got some problems. I I mean, I think that the thing you've got to do is be like, my plan is not to make two four fours. My plan is to make two four fours and then make two four fours again. And then you're much closer to, all right, this is actually pretty good. And I and like I don't, I don't think the Rhinos deck is bad or anything. It's just. Mm-hmm. It, it trades a bunch of power for consistency. 
And I think that's why people are drawn to it, especially spikes who love consistency. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not. I just want I want to do the powerful thing. I want to living in people if I want to cascade people. I want to glimpse people. Yeah, me too. I, in particular, like living end with grief did look very, very strong. Uh, you're certainly vulnerable to more hate than any of the other cascade decks because a Tormod's Crypt can potentially mess up your day, although you certainly have ways to play around and against that. But man, grief plus living end is like, that's just the best way that I have seen to use that card for sure. Yeah, it's so nice. I, I appreciated grief just in a combo deck like that where you you know you, you get rid of their interaction in their hand you see if the coast is clear you go for it but then it comes back and triggers again and it's like oh wow this is this is great yeah this was very stupid like uh, and and in particular it patches up you know these this iteration of living end one of the weaknesses of classic like jund living end was combo decks that weren't particularly vulnerable to land disruption like you could basically never beat storm unless you got very lucky you could never beat ad nauseum unless you got very lucky playing force of negations and then grief really really patches up that inherent weakness of your like my combo is to wrath you and put 15 ish power in play i think one of the best things for living end has been giving it a bunch of interaction that doesn't put cards in the graveyard like mm-hmm. between force negation, brazen bar, and subtlety, that's a lot of interaction that just puts things in a zone that isn't the graveyard, which is what right. stops your combo stuff. Yeah, yeah. And grief usually takes. Well, I mean, force negation, it wouldn't really matter, anyways. But oh, true. Uh, like grief, you're often taking like a spell pierce, and then on the way back, you take like their combo piece, their you know whatever their combo card is. So yeah, even though that puts it in the graveyard often, that's not that bad for your living end can't really take apart like heliod combo with it though well but living in the card is good against that if you can violent outburst into it sure depending the problem is when they get like (laughs) you know a heliod and a spike feeder in their graveyard at the same time and you're not allowed to cast living end for the rest of the game yeah that is true yeah that, that might be really rough actually uh we actually saw that in one match a living end player playing against goblins and oh yeah the, the combo just got straight up put into the graveyard and the living end player had to c- try to navigate the rest of the game without casting living end, which is something that I, you know, ran into every once in a while in the past. And so against decks where that could easily become a problem, you often sideboard in your graveyard hate, uh, whether it's just like fairy macabres to make sure that doesn't happen uh, against hardened scales. I would always bring in Leyline of the void because Leyline's just good against hardened scales anyways uh, but you know in particular it helped that that specific problem so that's a thing to consider when you're playing against decks with very dangerous combinations of creatures like that do you want to talk about the Luris decks because that's Luris to me is the boogeyman of modern like the mid-rangey not hammer time but the mid-rangey Luris deck specifically well the card is for sure but the mid-rangey decks use them as a primary plan, plan rather than right. Hammer Time's secondary plan. So it's like more right. overt, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So we saw Grixis iterations. We saw Rakdos iterations. We saw Mardu iterations, which are basically the Rakdos decks, but with prismatic ending. Mm-hmm. They all seemed strong. They all seemed like very effective 
they have really good threats in those one mana threats. Dragon's Rage Channeler in particular just like ties the whole room together. The, yeah, the, like the biggest downside of the is a Merktide deck is that you can't play Luris because you're playing Merktide Regent. Mm-hmm. And these decks really embrace I'm a Luris deck. They're all cheap, super cheap, low to the ground stuff yeah. and very interaction heavy so that they can grind you into the ground with their interaction or, or Dragon's Reach Channelers if that gets you first and then go to work on you with Luris and just go over the top of you. Yep. And and I think I've mentioned this before, but that double synergy with Mishra's Bobble like really just amps that card up hugely. Like when you have like one thing that makes the card good in your deck, you know, you're playing Prowess, so it pumps your Prowess guys. But then once you have a second thing, Okay, not only am I, you know, triggering my Dragon's Rage Channeler, but this can also just be a card advantage engine. I get a card whenever I put Luris into play for the first time, and if they don't kill my Luris immediately, like, we're really doing it from there. It's just a really nice deck-building result that you get there. There's, there's a real difference between, like, having something to do with Luris the turn you play it and not. And a big portion of that is you're, you're never going to play Luris when you also can do it, right? That's just kind of right. basic. But the difference between needing just your three lands in a low land count deck with Luris to get it going mm-hmm. and having to have a fourth land can be huge. Yep. And that's why Mistress Bubble is so impactful, or one of the reasons. Yes. And then you also have all of your little baby Mistress Bubble synergies with fetch lands and stuff like that. So Yeah, the adorable classic ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My favorite, because people like to, to think they're big-brained about it. And, I mean, it, it is cool, and I like doing it too, so I don't blame them. But it is solved at this point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're, you're not being particularly creative when you have a fast land and a fetch land in your hand, so you start on Mishra's Bobble to see which one you should play. Right. I don't know exactly what the best way to play. Like, I'm definitely sort of partial to the Grixis build, because, man, Snapcaster Mage plus Luris is just, like, a tempting proposition. And, you know, these are just to give credit to Jerry for promulgating this first. I think, though, that I'm just kind of naturally drawn to the Rakdos decks, or maybe Mardu, because Prismatic Ending is really good. But generally, like, not Counter Magic, not Drown in the Lock, like Thought Seizes, Threats, the card advantage from having Luris, and... I kind of really would like to see more decks do not Death Shadow, but my two mana threat is Scourge of the Skyclaves because that card is can be easily made to dodge Unholy Heat, and that's really good in your two mana threat. Yeah, I so I don't have a bias here because I hate all these decks. Like there's just decks I don't I wouldn't play. Like mm-hmm. they don't fit my playstyle. Sure. But I prefer the Grixis ones over the top mm-hmm. of the rest. Because I, I do think the access to counter magic is a big deal, uh, especially when people are playing like Cascade decks. Sure. I just, I think that discard spells are like kind of still very good, good right now. Yeah. yeah. And like leaving up mana is just like not my idea of a good time in this format generally. Yeah, that, I could see that. It's just that it's so tempting to leave mana up when you have like a dragon search channel or two into play. Like you're not losing that much. Yeah, no, I know. And you can just like play a Delver game, but unlike actual Delver, you don't have free counter magic at all. And like 
having a drown in the lock in your hand and also like being able to put Luris into your hand is like it's rough. It feels wasteful one like in some way. Sure. Ooh, can, so while we're on this I'm gonna pivot away from Luris. While we're on this Dragon's Rage Channeler tangent, mm-hmm. I was really impressed, even though it didn't do well. There were a couple of Underworld Breach decks that played Dragon's Reach Channeler as like mm-hmm. an enabler slash uh, digger. That's, that can't yeah. be a word. But like a, a way to look for your combat yeah, pieces. Yeah, yeah. And that is nice. That is a cool application of that card that isn't just straight up killing them. <laughs> right. And I, I I need to go back and look at those deck lists and play some matches with them because I like Underworld Breach just as a card. I think it's really strong. Mm-hmm. And like maybe you have to go grinding station right now, but just the fact that Dragon's Rage Channeler is It can be so a grinding good, station almost, yeah. Just with Underworld Breach by itself. Right, right. Lends me to believe like eventually I mean I already knew eventually Underworld Breach will be banned. I just I'm pretty sure now Dragon's Rage Channeler is gonna have something to do with it as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean if you have like a Dragon's Rage Channeler in play and an Underworld Breach like you can just keep casting thought scour until you like hit the thing that you need. Yeah. As long as you don't care about your and if you have two dragons or channels in play, it's all gravy. Right, right. I mean, obviously you're mana gated, but sure. you're drawing enough cards that hopefully you're hitting some things. And if you can just turn an underworld breach into the fair underworld breaches where you play it for a turn and then play a couple spells afterward mm-hmm. are not that bad. Right. As long as they're leading to the, all right, my second underworld breach, you're just absolutely dead and there's nothing you can do about it, which is often what happens. Yes. But of course, that requires some source of dumping cards into your graveyard. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you have Dragon's Rage Channelers and Grinding Stations or something, you know, maybe maybe you can put together multiple sources of that. Yeah, I need to look at these decks again and like play some matches, but I, I'm really into Dragon's Rage Channeler and, and Underworld Breach. Yeah, I mean, I really want to try Dragon's Rage Channeler with Pyromancer Ascension too. I mean, it's it's basically the same idea and might even be like ultimately in the same deck together if you don't want to do Grinding Station. And well, you... yeah, Escape doesn't work very well with Pyromancer Ascension, like in the front half, turning it on. Right, but the fr- so turning it on is the early game part of the, you know... I mean, yeah, like you do like your top deck Pyromancer's Ascensions to be easy to turn on if the game went long. So I, I get what you're saying there for sure. And so maybe that doesn't work out. And and there's definitely some weakness to cards like Pyromancer Ascension when the format is full of Prismatic Endings and Skyclave Apparitions. Like that's not a super fun place to be. And Breach is probably a better engine overall. And they're both like graveyard vulnerable, graveyard hate vulnerable. So even depending on how your deck is built... A Sanctifier and Vec or a Dothy Voidwalker could be a, a serious problem, and certainly a Leyline would be a serious problem. So you, you kind of don't want to double down on that. Yeah, yeah. But I do, in the back of my mind, I do have the sketch of a Dragon's Rage Channeler, Pyromancer, Ascension, Demi Lich deck that, unfortunately, I don't really want to spend like $70 on a set of Demi Liches that I'm going to play in like one FNM deck. So probably not going to put this one together, but. Yeah, mm, yeah, I understand. We just need to like prove that this card is unplayable first, and then I'll break it. That'll that'll be the plan. Well, how does Demi Lich go down? In- cards don't go down in price anymore. 
<laughs> Even overhyped ones that kind of suck. I mean, I guess, yeah, if there's like five playable cards in AFR, then, uh, you know, it's got a bunch of unplayable ones are going to have to keep their card prices because something has to have value. Yeah, exactly. It is so cool. It's just not really good enough. But what I want to do is play it in a deck with not only Metamorphose, but also Noxious Revival to really get some cheap <laughs> Demi-Liches into play. I, I, just, I just don't share this Demi-Lich optimism. <laughs> I'm not, like, optimistic, but I, I love... I, I just love the, like... All right, it's turn three. Let me cast these spells and dump like two or three demi liches into play. Like, deal with that. Also, here's a pyromancer ascension. Like, there's some sauce there that I'm into. You no, know, I get it. I get it. I've done similar things before. I just yes don't like it when my cards have such huge downsides when you're not doing your thing. <laughs> yes. No. I I completely agree. Uh, one thing that I'm also into a lot right now is I think like prowess has gotten pushed out. Because a lot of the removal is very specifically great against prowess, and like a lot of these decks are playing like fourteen removal spells, so that's difficult. But I think Lava Dart is, is continues to be insane in this format. Yeah, it, it's weird. Prowess not very good, but Lava Dart extremely strong. <laughs> yes, Ragavan, Dragon's Rage Channeler, everything you put a Colossus Hammer onto, like. Having a having a lava dart in your graveyard against the hammer time deck, a lot of their lines just are completely closed off to them, and you don't even have to hold up mana. Yeah, and the ore is taxing their mana because they have to play the stone forger of pure steel and then go in on that. And right. going in on pure steel is never great in the first place because once pure steel dies, you can't re-equip. Yes, like you want them to have to equip the pure steel so then you can bolt it. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't know if there's a lava dart is a very specific card. And it hurts that there's not a really good shell for it other than prowess. You know? Well, see, that's that I want to do Pyromancer Ascension with Lava Dart. <laughs> but, I want to I want to thought scour some Lava Darts into my graveyard and lock out my Hammer Time opponents that way. Well, the problem with Pyromancer Ascension Lava Dart is that Pyromancer Ascension is a deck that would like easily want thirty lands in play if it could happen. I know, I know, because you never run out of things to do or cards to cast. But right. you don't really want to be sacrificing your lands with wild abandon. It's true. God, those are some cheap demiliches, though. <laughs> yeah, the problem is once you sacrifice your lands to your lava darts, you still need to pay mana to cast the spells with your demiliches. Like, the whole thing doesn't quite well, that's, work That's out. why you go Manamorphose, right? Mm -hmm. Then you Noxious Revival, float mm -hmm. your blue off your steam vents, and then sacrifice it to lava dart and play demilich for one mana. But then we need lands to cast our Demi-Lich spells with, I'm saying, is the problem. Because it's not a Dreadlord Arcanist. It requires you to pay the cost of those spells. Yeah, that's why the card sucks. Yes, I know. <laughs> like, this is the problem. But I I do think Prowess is in a slightly rough spot. Uh, I did see Aspiring Spike playing red-white Prowess, and it, it looked pretty good. Does What, are the, what is white for? Uh, just Clever Lumomancer and sideboard cards. What are the sideboard cards? Just whatever white sideboard cards are good. You can play Sanctifier or you... I mean, Sanctifier is kind of rough because it gets your own lava darts. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you're playing against a deck that Sanctifier beats, that is probably fine. The Rakdos deck is not capable of beating Sanctifier and Vec. No, it's it's quite pitiful, which is why I would uh, recommend everyone play Mardu. We also had one Dredge player in our tournament this past weekend who did make the top eight. And then we were forced to watch him play some games against Sanctifier and Vec. 
Yep, it's n- was about exactly as advertised. Yeah, it was horrendous. <laughs> a rest in peace that doesn't die to nature's claim and doesn't die to any removal spell that they play. Yeah, you know how much mana it costs to blast on the thing. <laughs> it's yeah, you're just dead by that time because it's all hammer time decks running it, so you're just dead. Yeah, Dothy Voidwalker out of the Luris decks is not much better. No. At least you can Lightning Axe that one. Yeah, you, at least you have to Lightning Axe that one for sure. <laughs> yep. Things are rough out there for Dredge. Not gonna lie. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know how Nicholas does it. I think he just likes playing Dredge. Because he top-aided the last one with Dredge, too. <laughs> yep. I, he's, he's good. He's got it. But, like, there was a reason he was the only Dredge player in the tournament. Yeah. Do not recommend playing Dredge. A lot of Graveyard Guy out there. Dredge is particularly weak against it because you have no backup yep also you know like there's stoneforge mystics that just put a batter skull into play and then like you die to the batter skull you can just easily die to Merktide regent or colossus mm-hmm. hammer in game one and you if you're playing dredge and you're losing game ones that is a horrible time to play dredge yep for sure speaking of stoneforge mystic i have seen some and I think we saw at least one of these in the tournament. Uh, Hammer time decks with a culture complete in the sideboard, which I'd love. I, I like you turn off your Luris, but you bring it in in the matchup specifically where like Luris isn't going to be that good. And you just want your alternative game plan because they're ready for your primary game plan. Yeah, Luris is really good at like helping you go the extra mile in that deck. But, but not, still, all you're doing is yeah, but not pivoting. hammers and constructs. Mm-hmm, right. So if you if you need a juke, then Culture Complete lets you. And I do like Culture Complete. I got mine in the mail yesterday. Ooh. Ooh. It's going in the queue, but, you know. Yeah. Well, that makes me more likely to first pick Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah, that's the goal. Just make Stoneforge Mystic somehow better. <laughs> and Skull I mean, Clamp I... is still the best equipment in that cube, so... I, man, people do not respect Skullclamp enough in cube generally. I don't, it's so weird to me how late you see Skullclamp go. I agree. It's it's wild because it's one of those cards that was just like almost immediately banned in all the formats it's legal in. Yeah. Uh, and still people don't realize like how good just, there's so many random one ones that are generated in cube, like Bitter Blossom or Deranged Hermit or whatever. And Skullclamp sure. is a really low opportunity cost card really well, and, low and it's also really good in mono red and mono green two of the best mm-hmm. decks you can draft in cube so uh, you know give yeah tap your fellows for mana play something then play skull clamp and draw two cards easy <laughs> just get rid of your fellows you don't need it anymore you already you got your mana back out of it yeah oh let's see what, what else are we talking about with modern can we talk about elementals because Canister did win the challenge with Elementals, and I know we were talking about it last week, and how my big problem was that your early plays were garbage, because mm-hmm. everyone was playing like Utopia Sprawl and Unsettled Mariner as the and Flight Harbinger as right. the only cards you could play in those like early turns. Yeah, you're gonna fall behind. Well, and like Solitude, but yeah, yeah, Solitude Fury, which are cards you can play early but do not want to. Right, right. But you, you just do if you have to. Yeah. And then Canister correctly identified. I say correctly because uh, it seems obvious. <laughs> but you, you just can't play a game, like a mid-range game, with no lower cost cards. 
So he played Ren and Six and a, and no unsettled manners because card's garbage, mm-hmm. and a ton of one mana interaction. Like yep, and, and, it, and it worked. It's good. He won the challenge. Yeah. So he has Utopia Sprawls. I I think most of the builds had Utopia Sprawls. Yeah, they all I've did. Seen, uh, but yeah, prismatic. A couple of prismatic endings. A lightning bolt, and Ren and Sixes, and Teferi Time Raveler as well, which mm-hmm. is kind of like like that's a kind of weird one because that also costs three but card is very good and probably solve is good in the matchups where this the rest of this deck is really bad so i think that teferi time raveler is a like more of a metagame call than anything else because if you look at magic online challenges there's so many cascade decks of all kinds it's it's crazy and teferi is definitely the best card against like all of those mm-hmm. because they're ready like chalices chalice is great because it costs zero and so you don't have to disrupt your own stuff in order to get it in play and you create a hurdle for them but that's all it is is a hurdle is like they're ready with disenchants teferi is hard to kill yeah it, even brazen borrow which is like one of the better answers to it petty theft you have to mm-hmm. wait until your own turn to do it <laughs> yeah you can't wait for teferi to resolve and just bounce it in a turn because you teferi does not let you do that <laughs> Right. Yeah, so I, I would definitely recommend a version more like canisters if you're going to do elementals. And Not sacrificing a, much in your like combo power with it. It's it's also just a good example of how to look at like an emerging deck like elementals and identify problems with it, like kind of like we did last week where I, I like what this deck does when it does its thing. The Risen Reef elemental stuff is really good. Omnath is still a good card. Uh, but you, your early play is so bad that mm-hmm. I don't know if you can justify it. And then you build a version that has more early game and it, your late game makes up for it. Yeah. And I, that's a good way to develop decks, like identify problems and then try to make up for them. Yeah, absolutely. And stuff like, boy, we don't really do anything until turn three is a very solvable problem in a format <laughs> like modern. Just put in some cheap shit. It doesn't need to say elemental on it. It's fine. I promise. Cut some three mana cards, put in some Mishra's bobbles. You're doing better. <laughs> yeah. Man, there is... <clears throat> oh, no, that's not a real... Like, I saw a dredge list, but that that's not a Magic Online result. That's some paper tournament thing. Oh, I want to talk just a smidge about Indomitable Creativity. Mm-hmm. Because I know in the last week, Zan has been iterating on this Indomitable Creativity deck that does not play Velomach's Lorehold or Time Warps or Saber mm-hmm. Moments. Uh, because you, it, uh, the games that I like out of the Indomitable Creativity decks are more where they function as a primary control deck that if your opponent ever like tries to get frisky, you can indomitable creativity and win the game in yeah. short for- in short order. And if you're going to do that while the Ren and Six Time Warp combo is really good, drawing Time Warps and Savor the Moments are really bad. <laughs> so what Zan did in that deck was play Hard Evidence, CCR's favorite common from Modern Horizons 2. I do love Hard Evidence. Detective Crabs at your service. And cut all the Velomachus lore holds, cut all the Saber of the Moments. I believe he cut most of the Time Warps as well. And he's just playing more control heavy with a Nahiri, the Harbinger, and Emrakul as the only mm-hmm. creativity package or card. There's no Velomachus lore hold in the deck anymore because it, it's not that great of a card to hit once you take out all your garbage Time Warps. <laughs> yes, of course. 
but then you're just like a normal Ren and Six Teferi control deck with this good combo finish if your opponent is trying to kill you or do something. Mm-hmm. And I I like it a lot. Yeah. I don't know if it passes the hurdle of like a very good deck yet because you do have to do some weird things with your mana base. Like you have to play all mountains. Dwarven Mine has to be on. You do have to still have Indomitable Creativity in your deck and you can't play creatures or artifacts. So you don't get access to Engineered Explosives, which is one of the better cards against Hammer Time. And like just various small stuff. But I really do appreciate that direction of the deck rather than the fellow Machus kind of thing. Sure. Man, the playing all mountains just makes me like also want to like fit Scapeshift into there. But the that's a double card. Obviously, <laughs> it's not doable in any way. Well, you know, bring 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 delight for Scapeshift. Uh, yeah, you can play a bring delight. Like Red Six to Fairy, I think comprise the best control plans in the format because mm-hmm. those planeswalkers are just so strong right now. Yeah. And in the case of Red Six, have always been. <laughs> yes. So I've seen Kane. I was watching Kane stream, and he was playing a four color bring to light deck that was playing Omnath, playing Teferi, Teferi, Rune, and Six. And then the rest of the deck just didn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, honestly, I kind of question the validity of Valky in a lot of these decks because I always see the. I've never played one. I always see the pilot draw Valky and just kind of cash in early for a chump block or whatever and just be got basically just be a goblin biker mm-hmm. and the times that you bring to light for tibble are so rare because it's not that directly impactful a lot of the time i i think that may be a little bit of a sample size thing because i have also watched a fair bit of these types of decks and bring the lighting for valky is really good a lot of the time okay so. that, that could that definitely could but i've I've watched, I don't know, over 20 matches of this deck, and it's just not... Tibble has not been relevant yet. <laughs> it is... So, there is a really big problem with the card in the Unholy Heat matchups, where you just, like, can't come down and minus, and they usually have a board. And and so you're, like, you're trying to navigate to the spot where you can bring to light, they have one thing in play, and you can Tibble to it, and... Take card from there, yeah. Like, hope, hopefully they don't have the bolt because they had to use it on something. But, like, the fact that they have bolts and unholy heats, and maybe they don't have unholy heats after board, but, like, that's a thing that you would want to exploit pre-board is, like, oh, unholy heat sucks against me, but now it kills my giant planeswalker. And, like, eh. Yeah, I, I get that. And it definitely could be a sample size thing. Because I, all these lists play one. So it's got to be doing something some of the time. It's just, like the best proactive standalone thing that you can bring to light for but uh, yeah like definitely some spots to it are are more closed off than they would be other you know in a different version of the modern format yeah where do we want to go with asmore decks we keep seeing different versions of them they didn't do particularly well in our tournament they're not like i just have to believe that there is a version that we haven't built yet that's like fine for this meta (laughs) Because, like, it is really strong, but it, it's getting disrupted and exploited and not quite delivering on, like, it doesn't have the efficiency access and, like, Unholy Heat is often doing the job kind of better. And simultaneously, like, you are vul- really vulnerable to Unholy Heat, not only if you have Asmore, but also if you have, like, Urza in your deck. Like, it really sucks to get your Urza Unholy Heated. 
Yeah, I think this is a kind of deck that I think would be really benefited from a card like Psy, but Psy itself just does not work in the deck at all. Mm -hmm. Because you really want to be able to generate a way to win without uh, devoting more and more resources. Yeah, and Psy was really good for that. And like KCI, the only, the only deck it's been played in in modern, because you just did about your normal game stuff, and Psy would win the game for you, while not having anything to do with your main game plan. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think Asmore needs, or just some way to win the game without detracting from your uh, game plan, but also not being so vulnerable to unholy heat like Urza is. Yeah, because Urza's so slow and dopey. <laughs> I think Urza is a trap right now, like in, in these types of decks. And it also doesn't help that, it, that people artifact removals on the rise because of hammer time mm -hmm. and the underworld cookbook, especially engineering explosives and the underworld cookbook card is really, really important for that deck to just function. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, explosives is really, really good right now. And I definitely would be into finding maybe not even necessarily the best like cookbook artifact deck now but like what is the best engineered explosives emery deck that i can put together because explosives is just really gnarly for a lot of decks right now yeah you could do that it would mostly putting it on one right so that's not too bad yeah as long as you're not an underworld cookbook deck i guess <laughs> yeah i don't i don't i think in this like theoretical emery engineered explosives deck i don't think you want to play it as more because we've tried that a lot of times and it's not working Right. So unless you've got a radically different take on that sort of build, I would right. try to stay away from it and figure out what else you can do in that sphere. Yeah, and, and like my inclination would be play a lot of engineered explosives, play Emery with it, even though like Emery dies a lot, but when she doesn't, she's fantastic. And man, I want to do Thopter Sword. Maybe even not with Urza, but like Thopter Sword seems really good against a lot of stuff right now. It's so... I know I, it's clunky. I love Thopter Sword, but it is both clunky and really color intensive mm -hmm. because the way you have to fetch and play your lands in the early turns to get I know. your Thopter Foundry just precludes you from playing Urza Saga early. That's the worst part. That's the thing that like really buries it, I think, mostly, is like the Urza Saga colorless mana. Yeah, because Urza Saga is far more powerful than the Thopter Sword stuff. Mm-hmm. Which sucks, but I, I postulated a, a Thopter Sword build with chalices and a more control shell, just to like get away from artifact stuff in general, just to be like a, a Chalice of the Void Blue Eye control deck with Thopter Foundry mm -hmm. and Prismatic Endings and stuff like that. Sure. But I, I talked with Kane about this, and he said that he had already tried it and it was not very good. <laughs> so Fair I just kind of stopped it there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I wonder if you could do Chalice Emery is pretty awkward because whenever you do put Chalice on zero, then you've locked yourself out of bobbling. So that's like a tough start to building a deck. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I don't even remember what deck this was, but I do remember on Dom and Ari's podcast this past week, they were referencing some Asmore deck that was an Ether Vile deck. You can... Oh, the 80 card Yoria nonsense. I saw this in a challenge. It was by far the most ambitious tech I've ever seen. Yes. When did they talk about this? Uh, I don't remember. They just like mentioned it at some point. <laughs> I, and I don't really care about this deck in particular, 
But I do like Viling in Asmore, and I do like the cohesion that that starts giving your deck if you... You're starting with a bunch of one-mana artifacts at that point if you're like an Aether Vile Underworld Cookbook deck. I don't know how to fill the rest of the deck up with creatures, and I don't think it's that particular Yorion deck is the solution to it. But I do like having all of these ways to both put Asmore in play and just have a lot of cheap artifacts, and we know there's lots of strong things you can do with lots of cheap artifacts in your deck. I feel like in this Aethermill deck, you'd also just want to play Dragon's Age Shaler and Ragavan because they're one drops and so strong. I, yeah, I guess so. And Dragon's Age Channeler triggers off of all of the artifacts in your deck. Yeah. But uh, see, the problem I really have with Asmore Cookbook it isn't really those two cards. It's that your Daredevil engine with the food tokens mm-hmm. uh, is perfectly reasonable if generating food tokens is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think that's good right now. And if that's not good right now, then your daredevils right, then, are just completely then garbage. Then what's the point? Yeah. yeah. And you're just like wasting a lot of deck space that way. For sure. Yeah, I mean, the the concessions you have to make are not cheap. Putting all of those daredevils into your deck is it's it's a lot. Definitely takes up some room. I have been like bouncing around ideas of lists that do not run as many daredevils and like if you want unmarked grave in your deck for other reasons then you can like kind of slim your package down a little bit but i haven't quite cracked that nut if i i wish there was and maybe i don't wish this but i, I kind of wish there was like a, a goblin barbarment for artifacts or like an atog or something that was playable mm-hmm. that you could just do something with the food token to convert damage to your opponent because well, nothing it's di- just like gear up or ether grid right yeah that's that's too it's inefficient that's too really slow artifacts yeah. for one damage yeah, like yeah if i could just sacrifice all my artifacts for like a disciple of a vault type finisher i'd be mm-hmm. down for that right but, I, but I, self-contained in one card yeah it just like doesn't work like that in in modern right now right yeah, play Disciple of Vault, pay two mana, crack food, gain three life. You take one. All right, I'll keep doing this for the next 15 turns. Arcbound Ravager can sacrifice food tokens. <laughs> we're, we're going pretty deep now. <laughs> play some sort of... I just want to put these cards together. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah, the other, like, part of that, and, and I just, like, can't make this... I, I haven't been able to, like, come up with a 60 cards that make sense. But, like, Unmarked Grave... If, you know, you have a couple of different pathways you can go down in your deck, and if, like, some games you get your Daredevil because you're playing an Asmore game, some some games you get your Sword of the Meek because you're playing a Thopter Foundry game, like, that's kind of, but you certainly run into the same problem where you're playing Thopter Foundry in your Urza Saga deck, and that is, that gives you some terrible opening hands. Yeah, maybe you just have to play more lands in your deck. Yeah, I, I think that's it. Is you're like a twenty-two land plus four Urza Saga deck, like, or, and you pr- maybe have some chromatic stars in there too. Oof, that's that's too many mana sources for me. I think, but <laughs> yeah, basically, the once your Foundry combo combos online, it's much like Pyromancer's Dungeon, where you just just spend your mana doing that thing now. Exactly. So yeah. any mana you get isn't incredibly relevant. Well. I mean, it's more Thopters. No, it is incredibly relevant. Is incredibly relevant. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 Okay. Cool. Yep. That makes sense. 
But ultimately, like, I, I don't know that any of these ideas are, like, attacking the format in ways you couldn't just do better by playing, like, Dragon's Rage Channeler and Unholy Heat in your deck. Like, do deal with six with your easy-to-cast one-mana spell that's always turned on instead of your, like, slightly clunky, like, card advantage engine way to deal six damage. Yeah, is, is Pure Steel Paladin Colossus Hammer good enough? Probably. Yeah, maybe yeah. just play that. Maybe that's the best way to use Urza Saga, which it just is until people start, like, really targeting the deck. Like, I, I definitely think the Cookbook Asmore stuff will pop up again in different forms. It just might not be before another card release where there's war you can utilize with the permanents it creates. Sure. Don't mind me. I'm just going to be over here, like, sketching Aether Vial Arcbound Ravager decks in my, in my there, notebook. Is there a Disciple of Alt in this deck? I don't, I don't believe I can like make a disciple of the vault version of the deck. I don't think I can get myself to do that. All right. Well, let me know how your Arcbound Ravager one goes. Okay. We'll do. <laughs> you know, Arcbound Ravager triggers Sword of the Mink. Yes, I did know that. That's pretty. That <laughs> doesn't do anything, but <laughs> makes it a two three. Sacrifice your Sword of the Mink. Put a counter on it. Yeah. Yeah. Play another Arcbound Ravager. Play an Arcbound Worker. Get your Sword of the Meek back. This is a weird Asmore deck. Well, we start out as a... Man, too many colors if you're Hardened Scales and Asmore, huh? <laughs> We're just Jund. Hardened Scales. Jund. Jund Food Scales. <laughs> ah, we're getting goofy. It may be time to call it. Are we done talking about all the, the different the modern decks? Well, we're done talking about all the different like <laughs> ways that Asmore decks don't work in the format that we kind of that I want to try and fail at. But for certainly, there's more modern we could talk about if we wanted to. No, I I, I feel the wind downs happening as well. <laughs> uh, what are you going to bring to FNM this weekly? We don't have you know. Normally, this would be the what are we bringing? Not normally, because we're so far outside of Star City Games weekly tournament what are what are you bringing but what are what are you bringing to fnm this weekly oh i so i asked on twitter if anyone had like some fun decks to play in modern and i got so many responses i tried to reply <laughs> to a bunch of people but one of the decks there's like several decks i wanted to try uh but one of the ones are ross ross is a red black sacrifice deck mm -hmm. i want to play that deck because it's cool. like a, a Bloodgast Goblin Bardment thing with Mayhem Devil. And I don't play Sacrifice decks very often because they're usually really niche and limited to standard. But I love the card Goblin Bombardment. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm willing to try this. Especially since Ross managed to fit an entire 75 card deck list in a single tweet by writing it all out. <laughs> amazing that's well done ross that's straight really up to, to the do. character limit yeah that's tough the only ambiguous card is that there are two spell bombs in the sideboard i'm assuming that's nylon spell bomb but i can't say for sure it's unlikely to be well actually it's very possible it's pyrite spell bomb right because yeah. sanctifier actually destroys you yeah it's very possible but there's so, no other side. There's no other graveyard hit in the sideboard. So it's I, it's you know it, it's a it's a toss up. I'm gonna I take would, a take a dice roll and 
figure out which one to play. I, I, I would ask him what, what his intention was, at least. But, See, yeah. that was my first thought, is, um, I don't know what Spellbomb he's talking about, because there's definitely reasons to play both. So right. I could just ask Ross, but then I wouldn't have a great story to tell when I get blown out by whichever Spellbomb I choose to play. <laughs> one of each. Split the difference. Just get destroyed. No, no, don't no, have no, enough no, no. against either thing. No, I'm going to pick one. I don't know which yet. And then if it doesn't work out, I am going to tag Ross on Twitter and and just blame it. It's the I perfect plan. You are more likely to run into Sanctifier and Vec that's just beating the crap out of you than you are to run into a graveyard deck that you can't just like burn to death. So, you know. So you're saying I should play that Hell Spa Bomb and blame Ross when I lose. It just what's the outcome that you want here? And like I've given kind you my determination. One. Right. Yeah, kind then, of that then, one. Then then fine, then pick that. <laughs> I, I believe for winning percentage purposes, like Pirate Spellbomb probably solves a more common and more serious problem that you will have. Oh yeah, for sure. What are you playing at FNM? Do you know? I'm probably gonna bring Heliod. I just have it together. I wanna try it with Chalice in the board, and I haven't gotten to Heliod anybody in a while, and I actually do really like playing spike feeder combo so do you have to take your once upon times out of your heliod deck i've already done that lady. i have <laughs> i i assemble i took the time and i assembled a currently legal heliod deck uh just missing a sideboard card or two i need to find more i only i did not pick up enough sanctifiers and vec so i i need to pick up a couple more of those i i need to get some of those as well eventually that's a that's a hell of a card it's only like a dollar too. I didn't realize that. That's weird. Like, there's a lot of them seeing play. Like, it's a four of and a bunch of sideboards. Yep, and it's only like a buck. All right. Yeah, I I believe I will pick up a set now just because like the potential for regret is way higher via not buying them than buying them. Will you put a set in your card for me? I can do that. I can <laughs> okay. do that right now, actually. Yeah, because I'm I'm just gonna forget, and I've already ordered cards, and I hate like ordering cards many times a week. Sure, I got you, no problem. Nice. Well, unless we've got anything else, I think we should wrap it up. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks everybody so much for listening. We do really really appreciate your time. If you'd like to lend us some support, head over to Patreon.com/slash/MTGGrindcast. If you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McLeo. That's it for us. Have a great week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.